cool. Uh, let's get into it. Warm welcome to you, especially those of you that might be your first Sunday for 2023. Lovely to have you along. Let me just, uh, let me just pray briefly. Lord, we just um, lift those in Auckland this morning who are facing all sorts of challenges and, and strife and turmoil, and it will have affected different people in different ways, and different people will be handling it in different ways. But we just thank you that, Lord, you're gracious and kind in all things, and may people know peace, and may they know something of you in this moment. If people are desperate and they might turn some to cry out to you, Lord, may they find you in this moment. Lord, where churches can unite and be a blessing to their communities, inspire them to be so. Lord, we think of uh, families here this morning that may have loved ones who are affected by flooding or who are out of their homes at the moment. Lord, just give them a sense of peace in this season, in this moment. And Lord, we thank you that we can gather here this morning. We don't take that for granted. Always, it's the delight to uh, come into your house, to come and be alongside one another, to, to be in your presence as well. And Lord, I ask this morning you just speak to people wherever they're at, that they would encounter something of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's uh, not worry about haircuts and let's get into it. Uh, we're in a little mini-series at the moment called Perspectives and uh, Paradoxes, and I think we've got a PowerPoint that's got all that up there. Um, I was going to call it Motivational Speaking Part 1, 2, and 3, um, but when I wrote that down on my piece of paper, I kind of broke out in hives, and I thought, well, I didn't want anyone else breaking out in hives either. But I am a motivational speaker in one sense, a hopefully a subversive kind of motivational speaking that kind of uh, would cause you to imagine alternative possibilities in your life, in your family, in your workplace that are maybe more aligned with the kingdom of God, well, not maybe, that are more aligned with the kingdom of God than maybe the, the way the world works and the invitation to build our own kingdoms and to build our own little kind of fortresses of whatever it might be and to, to actually be the people that God's called us to be. So I'm a kind of a subversive, motivational speaker in that sense. And uh, I think part of what it is to be a pastor is to engage one's prophetic imagination and hopefully offer possibilities to people that would capture their imagination to, to consider other ways of being. Part of being a Christian, a congregant, is to kind of pay attention on a Sunday and, hey, maybe there's something for me this morning that, that might be the, the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And as we are saying last Sunday, over time, what we hope to see is that, that as we gather on a Sunday that we might have a burning bush type experience that, um, yeah, Lord, you're speaking in some way, shape, or form. Not that every Sunday will be like that for every person. That would be delightful. But, but there'll be these different moments as we gather throughout the year that for you are that, that moment of encounter. And you may have already had that this morning, but that is the great hope, these, these burning bush experiences. Uh, up on the next slide, though, burning bushes are one thing. Uh, more often than not, though, life is lived uh, in the overwhelming slow grind of the trenches, uh, especially for those of you with school-aged children who are not yet back at school. Uh, it might be feeling, parenting might be feeling a little trench-like at the moment. And uh, even little Pollyanna with her Hershey's sauce is against you. You know, she's meant to be this delightful kind of cherub that you invited in your family through love and dedicated on a Sunday. And then they do that. They do that with, uh, that's not a photo of my daughter years ago, but um, I just found that on the internet. I hope it's not your daughter. But if it is, oh man, that's a bummer. Um, and, and you know, life, you know, you want these burning bush experiences, but a lot of life feels like Hershey's chocolate sauce on white sofas, which is, um, if you haven't figured that out, that's less than ideal. So um, 
All right. With that in mind, we'll, we'll chat this morning. I'm going to read a couple of quotes. Um, they, they stood out to me in general. They stood out to me as well because of how long ago they were written. I have these writers making astute observations about contemporary society like 30, 40 years ago, which obviously isn't that long in the scheme of history. And yet it's like, we're in 2023, and this thing that this guy wrote in 1977 about society at the time, it's like, that really resonates for today. So let me read a, a couple of quotes this morning. This is uh, Father William McNamara in 1977. He, he wrote a book, Mystical Passion, Spirituality for a Bored Society spirituality for a bored society. And he says, my grievance with contemporary society is with its decrepitude. There are few towering pleasures to allure me, almost no beauty to bewitch me, no intellectual circles or positions to challenge or provoke me, no burgeoning philosophies or theologies and no new art to catch my attention or engage my mind, no arousing political, social or religious movements to stimulate or excite me. There are no free men or free women to lead me, no saints to inspire me, no sinners sinful enough to either impress me or share my plight, no one human enough to validate the going lifestyle. It's hard to linger in this dull world without being dulled. He wrote that in 1977. Uh, Eugene Peterson in 1983 in his book Run With Horses wrote this, the puzzle is why so many people live so badly. Not wickedly, but so inanely. Not so cruelly, but so stupidly. There is little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture. Uh, we have celebrities, but not saints. Famous entertainers amuse a nation of bored insomniacs. 1983, Eugene's writing this. Famous entertainers amuse a nation of bored insomniacs. Um, Petulant and spoiled athletes play games for vicariously lazy and apathetic spectators. <laughs> I read that again. Petulant and spoiled athletes play games for vicariously lazy and apathetic spectators. Uh, Eugene Peterson was a track runner and uh, a, a very good runner, a competitive runner at university and college. And he's it's just like, yeah, there's a lot of us that like, we, we, nowadays we call them the armchair critics, but um, he just called them you know, lazy. Um, people, aimless and bored, amuse themselves with trivia and trash. They didn't even have social media back then. This is amazing. People, aimless and bored, amuse themselves with trivia and trash. Neither the adventure of goodness nor the pursuit of righteousness gets headlines. We have become a race that can be described by its poets and dramatists only as bored, vexed, frantic, embittered, and sniffling. Thought, Ooh, you're right, wow. These are good things to think about. I'll add restless and listless and agitated to the bored, the vexed, the frantic, the embittered, and the sniffling. Uh, I mean, not you, of course, not you per se, uh, but maybe that person that you started the holidays with, maybe, maybe that person uh, sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you, maybe they turned up on the first four or five days of holiday. Uh, Mr. or Mrs. Grumpy turns up at the start of holiday. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Um, or maybe just I'm opening my heart and just oversharing. Uh, not in relation to Lisa, but to myself. I found those first four or five days of holiday so agitated and so restless and so grumpy. And it's like, oh, this is meant to be holiday. And, and may, maybe it's only me. Maybe I'm the only person. Or maybe you know somebody that is maybe like that at the start of the holidays. You're like, let them have a week holiday and then we'll all meet up after that. And it'll be, it'll be a lot better for everyone. Why is that? Well, you slow down. 
Boxing Day rolls into the day after Boxing Day, which is actually a public holiday, one of our national public holidays. You know that famous public holiday, the day after Boxing Day public holiday. It's a, it's a significant one. Um, and so much of what is masked or suppressed by the busyness of life and the hustle and bustle of life kind of bubbles to the surface. And sometimes what bubbles to the surface isn't like love and grace and goodness and kindness and where are the kids and where's the family. and what can, Sometimes what bubbles to the surface is agitation and restlessness and, and we're bored and we're vexed and all of these kinds of things. Of course, we don't aspire to that way of being. None of, none of us have that on our 2023 goals list. By the end of the year, when I finally stop, I want to be more bored, more vexed, more agitated than ever. No, that's not, it's not our goal or our intention. We kind of, at times, fall into that way of being. Um, we want to shoot for the stars and maybe hit the moon. Um, we want to live our best life now. Uh, we want to be goal setters and go-getters, but <laughs> who really has the energy for that kind of thing? It's, it's, that's, a difficult, that's a difficult bar to set in the everyday realities of life. Assignments that are due or mortgage payments that need to be made or kids that need dropping off or picking up or grandkids that need dropping off or picking up. Or deadlines looming and your watch telling you that you're short of your, your 10,000 steps and somebody suggesting that you drink more water and someone else suggesting that you replace coffee with mushrooms and how can ground mushrooms be better than coffee and you're trying to figure that out. And there's so many unchecked emails in your inbox and the price of eggs is going up and there's so much uncompleted task on your to-do list that the only satisfaction you get is to write down things you've already done and then highlight them off just to at least feel a little bit positive. You know, who's got time after all of that to mow the lawns or walk the dog, let alone be a history maker in this land? Like, that's a, that's a big ask. Like, I'm struggling to take the dog for a walk, let alone be a history maker. Even finding a new series to watch is a drag. <laughs> You laugh because you know that. Finding a new series to watch is a drag. We have access to all of the music of all of history that we can listen to all the time and all of the TV shows that have ever been everywhere. And we're like, I can't find anything to watch or listen to. And you scroll through them and you watch two minutes of something and you're like, nah. It's easier just to scroll. And scroll we do. <laughs> Flicking on that phone. Scroll. We're the generation with the most muscular thumbs in all of history, just scrolling through Facebook reels. Because they're only like nine seconds, and if they're boring, we can move on to the next one. We want to love our neighbors as ourselves, our friends, our colleagues, our strangers. But our neighbors and our friends and our colleagues and the strangers, they have so much drama. And there's enough drama in my life as it is, let alone adding their drama into it. We want to be gracious and connected with our kids, offering wisdom and strength when we sit down for these lovely conversations at the meal table or after dinner. But they've got their own anxieties and quirky personalities that kind of remind us of ourselves and grate us and cause us to kind of fire off, so that's always troubling. We want to be present to our spouse with attentive ears and encouraging words and be passionate lovers, but, you know, 11.43 p.m. rolls around and you're dog tired and you just kind of fall asleep. We want to be still and know that God is God and hear that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit whisper. But to be still is all too often to invite agitation and restlessness and that noise, and so it can be tricky. I think we long to live a zestful life that spills out of the stereotype containers that, that society offers us, lives of 
spontaneity and purpose and that kind of green, the barren wastelands of secularism that surrounds us. We long for that kind of thing, to live lives of faith and hope and love, lives that infuse the mundane with wonder and mystery kind of thing, that kind of shift from the couch to these kind of burning bush kind of moments. Lives that participate in the life of God and the myriad of initiatives that God's love is working out all over the place. We long for that, but it isn't always easy. The fact is, it's just not always easy. The truth is, sometimes getting through the week is a fine achievement. I didn't do anything on the to-do list, but I got through the week, and that's a fine achievement. Life often does feel like it's lived in the trenches. So I've got to try and find some perspective on this. After all, the series is on perspective. So, so what's something that might help us? Let's go to Jeremiah 28 and Jeremiah 29. Uh, Babylon has been, uh, you, yeah, you can chuck that up. Babylon's been uh, taken over from Assyria. Uh, sorry, Babylon has taken over from Assyria as the, uh, the, the empire of great power in the day. And uh, there's Israelites living in Jerusalem, but, but Babylon's invaded, and many Israelites have been taken away to be captives in Babylon. And uh, it's not an ideal situation. Uh, the Jews both in Israel and Jerusalem, the Jews in Babylon are feeling discouraged and feeling despondent and feeling downhearted because life's not going as they planned. But then some good news comes along. Uh, Hananiah prophesies, and uh, we've got Jeremiah 29 on the screen, which is what we need, but I'm going to read from Jeremiah 28. This is Hananiah prophesying. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon within two years. I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place uh, Jacob, son of Jechiah, the king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Two more years, this is going to happen. This is, a, this is a good prophecy. This is a good word from the Lord. This puts a smile on people's faces. They're, they're excited that. Two more years, and, and God is going to restore and break the yoke of Babylon, and it's all going to be kind of put back together. But then you hear this kind of, kind of this slow clap coming from the back of the room, and it's Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, yeah, yeah, that's a good prophecy. That's a good prophecy. That's a good one from the Lord. Two more years. Man, I hope, I hope that goes well for you. I hope that all works out. That'd be awesome. Two more years, this kind of sarcastic slow clap coming from Jeremiah at the, at the, back, of the back of the room. Amen, Hain and I, good stuff. May it be so. And he says, it's not going to happen, folks. Two more years, you reckon, Hain and I. Reality is, you'll be dead in less than a year. This is, what he, this is what Jeremiah speaks out in the end of Jeremiah 28. And Hain and I is, within seven months, Hain and I has died. Jeremiah then writes this prophecy from God to the Israelites in Babylon. This is Jeremiah 29 that we're a little bit more familiar with than Jeremiah 28. 28 is... Two more years, slow cap, it ain't going to happen, guys. You'll be dead within a year. And then 29. You know, we know, you know we're heading to, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. That's the only verse you know in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. We're heading towards that. But there's some stuff before that. This is what the Lord of God, uh, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to those I carried from exile, uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. This is in Babylon. Those of you that are in Babylon, get on with life. Build houses, plant crops, get married, get your sons and daughters to get married. Pray for the peace of the city. 
Pray that to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they encourage you to have. These are these two more years and it's all going to be sorted out. Don't, don't listen to that. Next slide. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. We love that. But it's like, yeah, yeah. In 70 years' time, not really in 70 years' time, in the here and now of this moment, get on with it and pray for the peace of the city. And as it prospers, you'll prosper. My plans are to prosper you and give you hope in the future. But you know how this less than ideal situation, you're trying to escape, and somebody said, yeah, two years, you'll be out of it. It's like, no, it's going to be seven years, 70 years. But knuckle down, carry on with it. I'll, I'll be present to you. I'll bring blessing. You'll be fine. Uh, then you'll call on me and come to me and pray, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find you with, when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Here in Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah kind of, or in this scenario, we, we kind of have a little picture painted in regards to the story of Israel that parallels the story of humanity and that parallels your life and my life as well in different seasons and different times. Up on the, the next slide. Um, Israel's ideal is to be in Israel. That's where they want to be. But many have been captured and taken away to Babylon. The great hope in the captivity of Babylon is for a quick escape, a fast fix, to get it all turned around, to get it all sorted out as quickly as possible so that we can get back to the ideal situation that we want to be in. But the word from the Lord is, nope. Nope. 70 more years. So marry, build houses, plant vineyards, harvest, raise your children, marry them off. Pray for the peace of the city and the situation and the circumstance that you find yourself in. And as it goes well for the world around, it'll, it'll go well for you as well. But when all is said and done, there will be a restoration. It will be put back together. What you're looking for and longing for, it will, it will happen. But the time frame is not necessarily the one that you're hoping for. I mean, the biggest story of humanity is, is the story that is set in the garden, starts in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Delight. Uh, can't even read what I've got on there. Oh, humanity, story of humanity. Eden, the garden of delight. But then humanity falls short. And the, the, the story of those first 11, 12 chapters of uh, Genesis are humanity heading east of Eden, going east of Eden, traveling east of Eden, getting, getting off track. And, and the, the stories that are unfolded are of, of things increasingly getting more complicated. It's all less than ideal. Uh, nevertheless, the call by the time you get to the New Testament, the call is, well, be salt and light in the world that you live in. Even though it's not the world as it's meant to be, even though humanity's drifted well away from that, still be salt and light in the world that you live in. And there is the promise of the age to come. There's the promise that it will all be restored and mended and put back together. So we have the ideal, whatever the ideal is that we imagine. And then we all have heartache and experience of exile and alienation and brokenness in the actual situation we find ourselves in. And we long for a quick escape and something fast to turn it all around and make it better. No, just kind of roll your sleeves up and get stuck into the actual here and now that you find yourself in. But watch as the newness of God does break forth, does roll around even in the midst of those kinds of circumstances. 
It's the big picture of creation and then fall and then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Figure out how to follow Christ and be a, be a Christian and live your life with this great hope that there will be a recreation and a restoration. It'll all be put back together. I think so often in life, if we were to write down on a piece of paper how it is, we would often be describing a less than ideal situation. At times because of the actual brokenness of life and the realities of life. At times because we have funny ideas in regards to what the ideal will be like. Oh, it's less than ideal. Uh, no, that's just what parenting is like. Yeah, it's not what I imagined parenting to be like. Oh yeah, that's, a, that's the difference in ideals. And often the difference between expectations and reality is, is despondency and despair and, and, and frustration. So at times it's because of the actual brokenness of the world we live in. At times it's because we have false ideas of what life will look like, what it would be to, if I had that career, my life would be amazing. Um, you know, I've pastored enough people now that have all of the careers to know that across all of the careers, <laughs> there, there's no, my life is amazing. It's less than ideal in all of those places in, in different ways, in different seasons. And just when you get this kind of area of your life like nailed, like this is just how I imagined it to be, this kind of other area of life kind of falls apart on you. And you're like, how is this possible? Just, it's just life. In the midst of Israel experiencing that, Hananiah comes along with this good news of two more years, two more years. It is, it's going to be a quick fix, but he gets this slow clap from Jeremiah. It's not going to be the case. In our lives, we have all sorts of salvation promises thrown our way. Quick escapes, four-hour work week books, mushroom coffee alternatives, uh, ideas of upgrading your spouse or quitting your job or just read this book or just take this su supplement and you look at how it kind of all just, the, the world offers us promises of this and this and this. This will fix the less than ideal situation and it will all be, it'll all be better for you. Those that are wise amongst us, though, Bit of a slow clap from the back of the room. I don't know if anyone's tried that mushroom thing. It just keeps showing up on my Facebook. I don't know. All right, yeah, you drink your mushroom coffees. There's eight different types of mushrooms, and one will help you sleep, and one, you know. The only mushroom I know that does stuff is magic mushroom, and you shouldn't be messing with that kind of thing. All these, the world offers us all these quick fixes. And if you just buy that or own that or live there or were with that guy or with that girl or had that job or that amount of money, it would all be ideal. Those that are wise, slow clap and go, no, no, it's not, it's not like that. The aim of the person of faith is not to live as comfortably as possible, but to live as deeply and thoroughly and as faithfully as one can in the actual life that they have. The goal is not to try and orchestrate things to be as comfortable as possible, but to live as deeply and as thoroughly and as attentively and as faithfully as we can in and to the life that we actually have. To grow holy and whole and wholesome in your actual life. To discover truth and create beauty and act in love in your actual life. The only opportunity you'll ever have to live by faith is in the circumstances of your actual life. The very day that you're living, this very day. This is your opportunity to live by faith in this actual life that you have, in the house that you live with, with the family that you have, with the spouse that you have, or the flatmates that you have, or the, uh, the, the job that you have, or with the weather as it is at this moment. 
I guess the question then on the next slide for this morning. Are you going to be dulled by the ordinary and pursue escapism? Are you going to be dulled by the ordinary and pursue escapism? Or are you to focus your energies towards a career of virtue, the adventure of goodness, and the pursuit of righteousness? Are you going to be dulled by the ordinary, or are you going to pursue the adventure of righteousness? I'll just flick back the quote I read at the start. Uh, Eugene Peterson writes that, Neither the adventure of goodness nor the pursuit of righteousness gets headlines. And yet that's the kind of life that we're called to live. But it doesn't, you know, imagine six o'clock news. Now, there's bad flooding in Auckland. We'll get to that in a moment. But here's Johnny. Johnny's a legend. He's been married faithfully for 55 years and has done this and uh, loves his kids like this. And he didn't feel like going to work many days, and he did anyway. And then other times he wanted to punch his boss in the head, but he never did that. He just prayed for his boss and lifted him. So Johnny is just a delightful 67-year-old man now, and we just want to interview Johnny and hear more about his ordinary life of faithfulness. Doesn't make the headlines, but man, that's why I hope people say at my funeral, that kind of description, that kind of... Just doesn't, it just doesn't make the headlines. Oh, that's a bit dull, a little bit ordinary. Oh, isn't it beautiful, though, that we could all live like that? Are you going to be dulled by the ordinary and pursue escapism? Johnny was married for 27 years, and then he got bored. So he left, moved to wherever. A personal commitment to one's own discipleship in the trenches of life. Where does discipleship happen? It happens in the trenches of life. Ongoing faithfulness in small acts of history-making excellence. I use history-making excellence on purpose. Because we can do ongoing, uh, we can be faithful in ongoing faithfulness in small acts of history-making excellence in the trenches of life. The lifting of the world around you as an offering to God. A small act of history-making excellence is to lift the world around you as an offering to God by, by adding something to the world around you that lifts it, that makes it something more in, in some way, shape, or form. In the actual world around you, the friends that you have, the family that you have, the spouse that you have, the church community that you have, the colleagues that you have, the teachers that you have, the kids that you have, the barista that you have, the neighbor that you have, whatever it is. Small acts of history-making excellence that just kind of lift them from time to time. The getting on with the life you have, which is what Jeremiah is encouraging those in captivity in Babylon to do. Get on with the life that you have in a kingdom-orientated way, which is to live priestly, which is to offer the world around us as, a, as an offering to God. To lift, to help it to be something more than it otherwise would have been but for the fact that in that moment, you lifted it. That's the history-making excellence. Small acts of history-making excellence. When I was 15 or 16, I had an interview to get a job at Burger King. Um, and I don't know when that was. It was on a Friday. I don't know. But on the Saturday before the Friday, I fell off my skateboard on the half-pipe at Memorial Park and broke my arm. So I went into the interview with a broken arm at, at Burger King, and that went fine. And the, the manager, he said, hey, when your arm's all better... Come back, and we'll give you the job, because you're exactly the kind of person that we'd love to employ here. 
and I was 15 or 16 at the time, and to hear somebody that I didn't know say, you're exactly the kind of person that we're looking for, I felt, I, I didn't know I was exactly the kind of person that you were looking for. I felt, that, that lifted me. That was, I can still remember it. I'm 42 now. Telling you a story was when I was 15 that some stranger said at Burger King. It, it, was, this, it was a little act of history-making excellence that in that moment lifted me, a part of creation, lifted, and made it something slightly more than it otherwise would have been. And that's kind of stuck with me. I remember one pastor talking about uh, his stepdad grabbed him by the collar as he was about to chase the ball out onto the road, and he said, we can get another ball, but we can't get another you. And he just was like, whoa. And it never, you know, there's a nine-year-old kid at the time. That, that was just a moment of history-making excellence that kind of like just added value to it. Well, I don't know if we can be a history-maker in this land or even in our cul-de-sac, but we can have little moments of history-making excellence where we lift someone around us in some way, shape, or form. And we might not be able to keep it up 24-7 for a week or a month, but we can do it once or twice and then go back to the ongoing journey of discipleship in the trenches. The life you have right now is the perfect life to commit to growing, to be holy, whole, and wholesome. It's the perfect life to lift the world around you. The colleagues that you have are the perfect colleagues to write an encouraging card to. They're the perfect colleagues to do that. You don't need other colleagues. The ones you have are perfect to write an encouraging card to. You've got the perfect boss right now to say thank you to. You've got the perfect kids at the perfect age and stage to creatively invest into in some way. Just don't expect much return from that in terms of like, we did this on Tuesday, you should be happy for the rest of the week. It doesn't work like that. They're unhappy by later that Tuesday. But nevertheless, they're the perfect kids at the perfect age and stage to invest creatively in. Or the grandkids you have are the perfect grandkids at the age and stage they're at to invest in creatively. Even though when they leave, you rejoice. It's still the perfect age and stage. You've got the perfect spouse right now to encourage and to be kind to, to flirt with and to romance. You've got the perfect spouse right now for that. Oh, but we're in the trenches. It's tricky. Well, just have a moment where you lift yourself and lift them and then go back to the ongoing journey of discipleship. Trench-like realities of life right now are the perfect trench-like realities to grow in, to be prayerful in, to be attentive to the Holy Spirit in. To ask God how you might grow and better reflect Christ in this moment. That's difficult. How can I do a slightly better job in this moment? All in faith that the newness of God, that the life of Christ, as we are faithful in the trenches, as we lift as we can, that in due course, there is a newness that comes. There are new seasons that come. There is restoration and reconciliation that comes. Things do get put back together, and things that you worried about five years ago, now you're like, that's just turned around remarkably. But there's just not a promise of a quick fix or two more years. Some things are 70 years, and some things are maybe not even in your lifetime, and yet the goodness of God will still rule and reign, and all will be made well. All manner of things will be made well. The word from God in Jeremiah is to build, to plant, to marry, to eat, to pray for the peace Pray for peace in the life that you actually have. Not to fight the life that you have with a self-help book to somehow create another life. Though, of course, we can you know, do things that are helpful and beneficial, but 
Sometimes we spend so much time trying to escape the life that we actually have rather than investing in the life that we have that we, we get it round the wrong way. So the word of God in Jeremiah was to build and plant and carry on with life and get stuck into the things of life. In contrast, though, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and, his righteous, and its righteousness. So it's kind of, he's been talking about worry. Don't worry about the things that you're going to eat. Don't worry about the clothes that you're going to wear. Don't worry about the house that you're going to live in. It's like, hang on. Jeremiah said the word from God was to get stuck into the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. And Jesus is kind of saying, hey, don't worry about the ordinary stuff of life. Just seek first the kingdom of God. It does say that these other things will take care of themselves. But it appears to be a, a, it appears to be a contrast at first glance. It appears to be two different things happening. The long and the short of it is that we seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness in the ordinary stuff of life. In the ordinary stuff of life. I talked last Sunday, uh, for those who are here, about church being a burning bush encounter. And the paradox we looked at last Sunday, because I set it all up for those who weren't here, was you actually don't need to be at church on Sunday or next Sunday or the one after um, but every now and then there'll be a burning bush experience that was God wanting to speak to you in the moment, so you kind of really need to be there. So we had two truths that were th- two things that were true at the same time. It's like you really don't need to be here next week. Uh, in two weeks' time, we've got Sam Harvey speaking. Really looking forward to that. That'd be great. You should really be here. It's going to be amazing. Sam's driving from Napier. It's like maybe maybe you should. Maybe you shouldn't. You don't want to miss that one. You could come along and oh, I could have missed that one. So that's true, you don't have to be there, but then at the same time, sometimes church is a burning bush experience, and so you don't want to miss it, so you need to really be there in case it's your one. It's like, well, hey, we've got two things that are true at the same time, something of a paradox. Seek first the kingdom of God, don't worry about your life, and yet you've got to build a life, and yet that's the place where we seek the kingdom of God, is in the ordinariness of our life and our job and our marriage and our kids. We don't seek the first the kingdom of God in a prayer meeting or at a worship conference. or It's in the ordinary realities of life. Kingdom of God's discovered in the ordinariness of everyday life. As we commit to discipleship, to growing, to be holy, whole, and wholesome, and as we commit to lifting the world, the actual world around us, the people around us, lifting them as an offering before God, which is to add value to them in some way, to make them something more than they otherwise would have been. We seek first the kingdom of God. We say, Holy Spirit, what is is the maybe the thing I need to do in my marriage to lift it in this moment? We'd be still and discover that maybe the Holy Spirit would even whisper things. I mean, you'd probably come up with 20 ideas just by yourself with a piece of paper and a notebook at it cafe with a coffee rather than mushrooms, but you can be prayerful about it as well, and you just never know what God might whisper. What do I need to do to make a difference in the office space that I work in, maybe, with the, with the co-workers that I work with? You can go, actually, Holy Spirit, could you just guide, could you whisper something? Again, you can probably come up with 20 things just with a piece of paper. That's good in and of itself, but every now and then you just don't know what the Holy Spirit would whisper. I don't think the manager at Burger King had been in prayer that morning before he met with me. Nevertheless, it was something from God that lifted me in that moment. But other times, there have been people that have been prayer in prayer in that morning that came and whispered something to me, that lifted. 
So we seek first the kingdom of God just by being attentive to the Holy Spirit, saying, how do I grow in this trench-like circumstances of life? And Holy Spirit, how could I lift this person or that person or this family member in this moment? And we discover that there's this great mystery that there's always more going on than meets the eye. That long before we showed up, the Holy Spirit was already there doing something. And long after we've gone, the Holy Spirit will still be there working in that person's world and that person's life. But maybe we can partner in a moment and lift something in a way that we didn't realize that we were just trying to like live the kingdom of God in our ordinary life and we created a burning bush experience for somebody. We didn't realize it and they, weren't ever, they didn't ever feed it back to us. But they went home going, oh, I think I just had an encounter. And we went home going, I think I did the right thing by being encouraging. We don't quite realize the mystery of the moment and what God was doing in that moment. All right, let's stand together. I'm going to close with our benediction in a moment, but um, I just want to pray for those that at the moment might be feeling trapped in the trenches. It's a common experience to pretty much everybody. Different ages and stages, different seasons bring along different forms of trench-like realities. But as we start the new year, perhaps the, this morning you're not like, yay, looking forward to 2023 and getting stuck into everything. You're like, oh, I'd like to go backwards. You don't get to, though. We have to move forward. But let's just pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that have gathered this morning. Some will no doubt have arrived with a great sense of anticipation and excitement in relation to the year ahead. Others, there may be that sense of worry or dread or just pure exhaustion at the thought of having to repeat it all over again. Stuck in what feels like trenches of marriage or trenches of parenting or trenches of work or trenches of bills or, or anything. It could be anything. But Lord, even as they feel trapped and stuck there, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come alongside, that you would draw near, that you would whisper words of encouragement, that even this morning they would go knowing that you see, that you know, that you understand. Just kind of whisper to hearts the words of life and encouragement that are needed to grow in that moment, to grow in that season, to better reflect you in that season, in order that trenches could slowly become wide open spaces. And Lord, for those that are needing to invest or, or, or realize the importance of investing in some way, little history moment, history making moments of excellence, Lord, I ask Holy Spirit that you just whisper. To husbands, whisper to wives, whisper to parents, whisper to bosses, whisper to flatmates, to colleagues, different things that could be done that would lift the world around. We pray this morning. We thank you that your heart is always for us and not against us. We thank you for Jesus that lifts us from the miry clay and sets our feet upon the rock. So St. Luke's, as you go this morning, may you be stirred by the Holy Spirit to see and appreciate with wonder and delight the gift of your everyday, ordinary life. As you go this morning, once more into what feels like the trenches of parenting or study or work or housekeeping or marriage, may you go with a fresh appreciation of the presence of Christ in all circumstances. A fresh appreciation of the opportunity you have to grow and to live a life of faith and the opportunity you have to lift the world around you as an offering to God. Never underestimate the impact of small acts of history making excellence. May God grace you and keep you in this season. In all things, may you know the love of God, the life of Christ, and the peace of the Holy Spirit is your own. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, awesome. Grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters. Enjoy your Sunday. Say hello to somebody new. Always my encouragement. Always say hello to somebody new. Each week at St. Luke's as you share tea and coffee and cake. And don't forget your children.